If you have your Bibles with you, or you can grab a pew Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 5. We've been going through the uh, Beatitudes. Today we'll be looking at verse 7, but we're going to read, as we've been doing, read the whole body of the Beatitudes there. So chapter 5, beginning at verse uh, 1. Matthew writes and tells us, And seeing the multitudes, he, that is Jesus, went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for giving it to us, for preserving it through history and having it translated into our very own language. We pray, Lord, you'd help us to Receive it into our hearts, Lord, that you by your Spirit would write your word in our hearts and minds. And so work in us that we would not just be hearers of your word, but by your grace and the power of your Spirit in our lives, we would become effectual doers for your glory and for our good, Lord, and for the benefit of others. And we ask all this in the name of your Son. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. Well, we're looking at verse 7 today. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Now, I remember the first encounter I had with the Beatitudes. I was a little boy, and I think my aunt had a, a bracelet that had the Beatitudes on it. She had another one she gave us. Uh, she was pretty religious. Um, and they had the Ten Commandments. And I just thought, okay, it's nice. And I remember my grandmother teaching us the Ten Commandments and the Lord's Prayer and some other things. But looking at the Beatitudes, uh, I didn't really fully understand them. I thought they were interesting. But mainly the comments I remember the adults speaking about, oh, what, what sweet, beautiful words those are. And that's true. But if we really understand what Jesus is saying here, Jesus is basically throwing a bomb into human culture when he says this. Jesus is sowing seeds that are going to be uh, growing, seeds of life, but yet are so counterintuitive to this sinful, twisted, wicked, merciless world that what he says here are beautiful, gentle, life-giving words, but about as radical as you can get if you consider what the values of the world are. Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. The reason why I mention this, in the world often, people, you'll hear things where people say, oh, don't be a chump, you know, you need to get, get even with that person, you need to get revenge, etc. And we all know scripture is very clear on the folly of such pursuits. Uh, 
Scripture tells us, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. In Psalm 18, the section we read, in verse 25, it says, With the merciful you will show yourself merciful. So we find God points us in a different direction than men would go. Men want revenge. They want justice for themselves. And here the Lord calls us to be merciful, to take pity on those who are in need. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Well, in the original, because this was written in first in Greek, the word blessed, as you know, we've talked about it in weeks past, because it's in each one of these verses, is makarioi, and that's a, a Greek word that simply means happy. It means happy from God, but it's happy. The merciful are happy. Uh, they are blessed, clearly. Blessed are they, and they're blessed in the sense of being happy. You know, I love, I've been studying Old English, going back and reviewing it. I love that the Old English word for merciful is mild gautan. Means mild-hearted. That means your heart is gentle. It's tender. Uh, blessed are we could almost translate if we were translating from the Anglo-Saxon. We take uh, blessed are the tender-hearted. That is, they're moved with compassion. And when others are suffering, uh, that's the way they understood it. Uh, the Anglo-Saxon kingdom would have been a pretty nice place to live, sort of. Okay, it was. Back in the a thousand years ago, in the, in the dark age, so it was a pretty, pretty rough time. But uh, mild-hearted, okay, gentle-hearted is the idea, uh, because there's it says uh, they're going to receive gentle-heartedness. Okay, well the Greek is very clear: blessed are the merciful, uh, for they shall obtain mercy. They'll be shown mercy. The, that second part is a passive verb. Blessed, the first part, blessed are the merciful. That's a participle, describing them. Okay, here's a little grammar lesson for you. I think you can handle it. Uh, some of us are like, usually, if you're like me, sometimes when people start talking about grammar, it's like, why well, I should have paid way better attention in high school, okay? Uh, so I'll try to be nice here, gentle on this. The, the, the merciful, that's a, a participle. It's a verbal adjective, okay? Some say, well, they're showing mercy, but... It just, it's describing them. Blessed are this, this is this category of humanity or this type of people. They're merciful. Blessed are those who are characterized by mercy. Why? For they shall obtain, or mercy, they, they're going to receive mercy, literally. It's a passive verb. It's something's going to be done for them and to them. And they're going to receive mercy. So Jesus lets us know that God is not indifferent to what goes on among us, and that those who show mercy, though in this world they may be called fools, and in this world mercy is not considered a precious commodity by most until they're in need of it, but it is indeed a wonderful thing. Jesus said those who are merciful will receive mercy. Um, some translations in other languages use the word um, uh, compassionate. Blessed are the com compassionate. And that's that's a good word. Compassion comes from the Latin, uh, the first part. Our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. And so our Lord Jesus Christ in his humanity he experienced temptation in its fullness. It was different in him, in, only in the sense that there was nothing internal that would draw him away. Whereas James tells us that we are drawn away by uh, temptation because of the corruption of our hearts. And that's what leads us into sin. Jesus' temptations were external, but they, 
The devil threw everything he had at Christ, and he couldn't get him to sin, because our Lord Jesus Christ is truly the Son of God. And Christ endured the temptations for us, and that's why it says he's able to help us when we're tempted. He has compassion. We can go to him. Jesus says these words, Blessed are those, uh, or blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. That's being spoken by the one who came and died for sinners. That's spoken from the, the one who is the most merciful of all. He came and bore our sins and took them upon himself so that the wrath of God wouldn't fall on us. He took that cup of wrath, as I said, it had your name on it, and he drank it dry. And now he hands you a cup of salvation. So this word uh, that's passive, the second one, they shall obtain mercy, eliethesantai uh, is the Greek word for you Greek scholars, comes from the word elieo, and it means to have mercy upon, to help the afflicted, to relieve the wretched, uh, or to experience mercy. It's used 31 times in the old King James Bible, that's most of the study guides are based on that, gives us a good idea. 14 times this word is translated to have mercy, 8 times to show mercy, or to obtain mercy rather, 2 times to show mercy, once to have compassion, uh, or to uh, have compassion on someone, to have pity, to have mercy, uh, to have mercy upon or receive mercy. It's pretty straightforward. It means to show mercy, and that word compassion does come up. Well, compassion, you know, sometimes we say, oh, you mean pity. Well, pity's part of it, isn't it? You know, we've had sometimes people, people will say, don't pity me. And sometimes, well, you know, sometimes people are in a pitiful state. The difference between pity and mercy is pity describes one observing the wretchedness of another, but it doesn't necessarily in and of itself require any action from the one observing it. Some people can see a person who's in distress, and they feel pity for them, and they keep on going. You know, Jesus didn't say that, the guest to the rich man's feast when they saw Lazarus lying at the gate eating the scraps that fell from his table when they stepped over Lazarus to go into the party Jesus didn't say that none of them felt pity for the man just none of them showed any mercy and that's the difference pity is subjective it's a good thing but it can't just stop there Mercy describes one acting upon the wretchedness of another and requires action from the one having it to help the afflicted. So Jesus isn't saying, blessed are those who feel bad about the way other people are suffering. That's not what he's saying. See, blessed are the merciful. He's saying, blessed are those who get involved in the sufferings of others to help bring relief to them. Okay? And that's what is missing in our culture today, largely, and we need to take that to heart and recognize it's missing in most of us. We're pretty good at looking at sorrow. Most of us are rock solid pro-life and don't do anything about it. Okay? I'm not trying to chide anyone here. Let me be a little Jeremiah today and make some application. Okay? Um, we're all in favor of life and we feel sorry for the millions of children who are being murdered by abortion. Uh, and we, we feel really bad about it. But when it comes time to do something about it, to speak up or to stand with those who are protesting or demonstrating or to write a check to the people that are trying to get legislation passed and that are actually doing something. Uh, well, we've already felt bad. And so that's, for most of us, that's enough. 
Now, that's a real problem. The Pearson's talked about this as a snare. Because we're willing to accept the feeling of pity in place of actually showing mercy, we can still feel pretty good about ourselves. Okay? Um, as I say, there were people that walked by the blind man at the temple before Jesus healed him, and you can be sure they felt pity for him. Now, in that case, there wasn't much they could do other than maybe give him some alms. So we need to understand the difference between pity and mercy. Jesus doesn't say, blessed are those who pity, or blessed are the pitiful, or those feeling pity. He says, blessed are the merciful. And that word is a, it's an action word. And our Lord Jesus Christ is the one who set the standard for that. Okay, Because he had pity upon us, and he intervened and turned it into mercy. And that's very important. Micah, chapter 6, verse 8, a very well-known verse says, He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? That's an important verse. I want to do what God wants me to do. I'm a Christian. My heart's been changed. What does he say? So what does the Lord uh, require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. Himself, you personally do what is right by others. And love mercy when you have opportunity. Remember, I showed this to him in my Bible class the other day. When Jesus was anointed and Judas complained because he said that could have been sold for 300 denarii and, and given to the poor. John, the apostle who was there, he said he just said that because he was a thief. He held the bag. He looked at. He stole from the stole from the treasury that Jesus had for him and his disciples. But the guys that, oh, that could have been given to the poor. He was just a thief. He was anointed on his feet, second time on his head by uh, Mary, the sister of Lazarus and Martha. And Jesus rebuked the second time. The disciples were all complaining. Judas is the first one on the sixth day, and that spread like a cancer. And so later, uh, the others are all grumbling about it. Like, yeah, why was this done? Because it happened twice. Both times, Jesus said, leave her alone. She's done what she could. She's preparing me for burial. And that was probably somewhat of a shock. But then Jesus said, you have the poor with you always, but me you don't have with you always. Now, it's interesting because Mark brings out in his gospel something the others don't Mark said, you have the poor with you always, and whenever you want to, you can do them good. That's that little verse, kind of, an, uh, there's an, an action idea. Whenever you want, the problem is not that you don't have ability or opportunity, it's will. Whenever you want, you can do them good. We look around, we see poor people, we hear about it, we're not sure what to do. you got to be careful, because you don't want to be buying drugs for drug addicts when they're begging on the street. But there are places like the Mission and other ministries that help people. Uh, they really do, and we need to be praying for those groups, and we need to be supporting them financially, and we need to be involved in such things as God gives us opportunity. That last thing is to walk humbly with your God. And if you're walking with God, you're going to not just sit still. You're going to be going somewhere. So mercy, by the way, is a communicable attribute of God. Let's get this the way we ought to. It's a, you know, let's look at it theologically in reference to God. Mercy is an attribute of God. God is merciful. 
So to learn what it is to be merciful, we first have to go to him who is, and uh, as we're told in 2 Corinthians 1.3, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. God is the Father of mercies. Psalm 103.17 says, But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. It's part of who he is. God's being, he is merciful. Uh, he is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, that is, and those who have had that work of grace done, and his righteousness to children's children. Psalm 106.1 tells us, Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. God is ever merciful. In Exodus 34, when Moses asked God, if he said, can I see you? I want to see you, Lord. He wanted to have a clear vision of who God is. And the Lord told him, you can't see me and live. No creature can. You can't be in my direct, unveiled presence. But God said, I'll pass by. You can see the, the hinder glory You can after I pass by. But that's an interesting uh, narrative in Exodus 34. And we're told at the beginning of verse 5, Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him, with Moses, that is, there, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. So God reveals himself to Moses. It's interesting. Moses wants to see him. God brings him words. What does that tell us? You want to know God? You need to pay heed to his word. Well, how did God describe himself? He proclaimed the name of the Lord. What does the name Yahweh mean, or Jehovah? What does that mean, the name of the Lord? And here's what he said. The Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, Jehovah, the Lord God, Yahweh Elohim. Merciful, first word. Merciful and gracious. Those two things always go together. Long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. Keeping mercy for thousands. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And by no means clearing the guilty. We go, wait a minute, we're all guilty. What do you... No, no, no. If sin isn't forgiven, it will be punished. That's what this is saying. Okay? He's mercy. Because we, well, wait a minute, we're all guilty. Those who fear him, those who trust him, those who cry out for salvation, he has mercy and pity upon them. He forgives their sins and their iniquities and their transgressions. Those who turn their back on him and think, well, I don't need it, I'm good enough, he will by no means clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the children's and the children's children unto the third and fourth generation. In other words, it can be multi-generational. So Moses made haste and bowed down his head toward the earth and worshipped. When God reveals himself, the proper response of a redeemed heart is worship. So when we learn about God, it ought to translate over into our uh, attitude and our actions toward God as, as worship. Lord, you're worthy to be praised. You are merciful. You've had mercy upon me. You forgave my sins. You sent your son, Jesus Christ, to suffer in my behalf. And he came willingly and did that because of his mercy toward me and his love. But Moses doesn't let it in just with Moses worshiping. Know what he says in the next verse, verse 9 of Exodus 34. Then he said, if now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we are a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us as your inheritance. I think this is awesome, because here, Moses is just such a wonderful person, okay, by God's grace, okay? Um, Moses has a revelation of who God is, and the first thing he learns is he's merciful. He forgives sin. How did that affect Moses? It made him worship. He bowed down and worshiped. And what's the very next thing he's doing while he's down 
bowed down before the Lord worshiping, he begins to pray for others. He said, Lord, please be with all of your people. Please. We're a stiff-necked people. We've got nothing we can brag about. We can't claim any righteousness. We've been grumbling and griping before you brought us out of Egypt. Lord, please be among us. So we see, wow, look how mercy translates. Moses is shown mercy, literally. God himself, the, the voice of God, proclaims it. And what does it do? It translates over into Moses wanting to see others experience God's mercy. He wants them to know God's love and his help. As image bearers of God, because remember Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, all that? Okay, it's all true. We must be merciful. Jesus said it in Luke 6.36 as a command. Be ye therefore merciful as your Father also is merciful. That's an imperative. Be merciful. That, that word, there's a, it's a different Greek word. It's a word that's sometimes uh, compassion. Uh, you know, so the old King James has the bowels of mercy. And we usually smile when we say that. Uh, it means inward compassions. Okay? The King James is just translating literally what's in the Greek because of the idea your inner parts having bowels of mercy. Jesus said you are to have compassion toward others. It's not optional. It is an imperative. It's a solemn command. Be ye therefore merciful. If you're a believer, you don't have the option of not being merciful. Okay, uh, As you have opportunities... You are to be merciful by your Lord's command. Luke 6.36. Don't forget it. We learn mercy by first showing mercy. If you remember the woman that came in, I just uh, now I mentioned the two women on the last week of Jesus' uh, earthly ministry that anointed his feet and his head. But prior to that, uh, probably a year before when he'd been in the home of Simon the Pharisee, he was there. Simon showed him no courtesy at all. Simon the Pharisee. He didn't give Jesus a kiss as a greeting, which was customary and cultural. Uh, he didn't anoint his head with, you know, perfume. That's usually what you know they did for their guest. He didn't have his servant or anyone wash Jesus' feet, which was the common courtesy of the of the, the time. But then, and probably the other guests had all of that done. So this woman comes in, who was a sinner, and Simon knew who she was, and the others that sat at table. She comes in and she sees her Lord's feet dirty. She looks and sees her Lord's head unanointed. Now whether she'd been there and saw that Simon didn't give him a kiss of greeting when he came in, uh, we're not told. But we're told that she began to weep at the feet of Jesus when she saw, I believe, when she saw the rude treatment that Christ had received from Simon and the others that were there, particularly Simon. She, uh, began to weep. It broke her heart. and She wept over the feet of Jesus. And whether she intended to or not, she realized she was shedding massive tears on her Lord's feet. And she began, she had took, did everything. She took her hair and wiped his feet, drying it off, cleaning them. She cleaned his feet with her tears and then wiped them clean with the hairs of her head. And others that were there, they said, if, if this guy Jesus was really a prophet, he'd know that this woman's a sinner. He's allowing her to touch him. So Jesus said to Simon, he said, Somebody has some things to say to you. And Simon says, Say on. And so in Luke chapter 7, verse 41, Jesus said, There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when 
they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. One guy owed a whole lot, a little more than a year's wages. Uh, today we'd say the 500 yard from, you know, we'll say, rounded off to say maybe $60,000, $70,000. The other guy owed 50, which would be, you know, he owed a couple hundred dollars by today's standards. The man to whom they owed it forgave both of them. He said, I'm going to forgive it. We're not told the circumstances. Jesus is, is telling the story. And so then he says to Simon, tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Well, Simon wasn't foolish. He, Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave the most. And Jesus then said to him, you have answered correctly. You've rightly judged. He says, therefore I say unto you, Jesus went over the, the difference that she had not seen, received any courtesy from Simon, he, what, but then he spoke what the woman did in her expression of love toward Jesus. He said, uh, wherefore I say unto you, her sins which are many are forgiven. And the Greek is clear, they've already been forgiven. For she loved much. It's evident in her life she's a forgiven person because her heart is filled with compassion and love. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Um, I think the Simon later got saved. Because later, at last week, they're, they're dining at the home of Simon, the Pharisee, or the man named Simon. So mercy, in order to know it, you have to first experience it. The evidence of God's mercy in her life was her abounding love for Christ. This shows that the work of transforming grace had been done already in her heart, which guided her actions. Mercy is a moral attribute of God, considered, as I said, theologically, comes under the heading of the goodness of God in the systematics, okay? Uh, Louis Burkhoff, in his book, Systematic Theology, on page 60 and 61, said, It may be defined, that is, mercy, as the goodness or love of God shown to those who are in misery or distress, irrespective of their deserts. That is what they deserve. Remember the Pharisee and the tax collector. They both came, went up to the temple at the time of prayer. That's in the sacrifices they were being offered. Uh, they, and the Pharisee prayed to himself, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like other men, etc., etc., the Pharisee prayed to himself. The publican, it said, he didn't even look up. But he said, God, be merciful, literally be propitious, or look upon the sacrifice when you look upon me. That's what the Greek word implies very clearly. God, be merciful to me. And the Greek's very interesting because it has the definite article with the word sinner. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. He didn't have any thoughts of that the Pharisee was just as sinful as he was or well, everybody's doing this stuff. He said, Lord, I'm, I'm the one. I'm the sinner. I'm the one that sinned against you. His repentance was personal. Our text speaks of those showing mercy to others as blessed. It's interesting here, okay? Blessed are those, uh, excuse me, yeah, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Uh, the promises to those who show mercy to others. Jesus told the story of the two debtors in, in another passage in Matthew 18. One owed the king 10,000 talents. Okay, that would be pretty much the equivalent of millions of dollars, several million dollars, all right, uh, by today's standards. And another owed the first debtor 100 denarii. That'd be about $600 by today's standards. So one guy is in debt by millions of dollars, and he, that, that guy had somebody that owed, then owed him money. You know the story. 
Uh, it's in Matthew 18. Why don't we flip in our Bibles there and take a quick look at it. You might get more out of it if you actually read it. In Matthew uh, 18, at verse pick it up at verse 31. Well, we'll go back to verse 29. His fellow servant, the fellow that owed him uh, a small debt, okay, 100 denarii. Um, he begged him, saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. That's what he said to his master, the one guy had said, and he forgave him. He forgave the guy millions of dollars. This guy owes him $600 or approximately. But he wouldn't forgive him. He would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what, he had, what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant. So he calls the first one up that he'd forgiven the millions of dollars in debt to. He said, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. And then Jesus makes application. So my heavenly Father will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. And so Christ here calls us to be merciful and forgiving. Now elsewhere Jesus did say when he was asked, you know, how many times should I forgive my brother? He was told, he told uh, Peter, uh, you know, 70 times, and then later 70 times 7. But he also said, if your brother sins against you seven times a day, and seven times turns and says, I repent, thou shalt forgive him, it says in the old King James. You, you will, for you must forgive him. So forgiveness and restoration of fellowship is based upon repentance. We recognize that. Uh, in Matthew 25, Jesus talks about when he returns in glory. <laughs> And there were two groups of people that were brought before him. In Matthew uh, chapter 25, it, it, uh, verse 31, Jesus said, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the holy angels with him. So we're talking about the last day of history and the second coming. And all the holy angels with him. Then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another. As a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous, interesting how Jesus describes them, then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. 
I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did it not to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now, the good works of the righteous were not the reason why they got to go to heaven. Okay? It was through the redemption that Christ had secured for them. The evidence of that redemption is being displayed here in chapter 25. Their hearts were changed. They had pity. They also had mercy. They got actively involved. So as our Lord Jesus Christ points us to mercy, we see how precious it is and what a valuable thing it is. Did you know that in the year 2008, had you invested $100 in Bitcoin, you'd have over $55 million today. Okay. So I look at that and say, okay, Lord, if you wanted me to be rich, I could have been. Okay. You could have just made it to the I figured that out quickly. There are a few people that did. When Bitcoin first came out, you don't have to have a long memory. This was 2008. Okay, I have shoes older than this. A $100 investment in Bitcoin. But at the time, those of you who were aware of it, what was everything? it's worthless. It doesn't matter. It's meaningless. It's going to flop. It's no big deal. So far, it's doing pretty good. Okay, and I'm not advocating for it or against it, whatever your opinions are on Bitcoin. Uh, that's fine. That's not why I'm bringing it up. Mercy is the Bitcoin of the kingdom of God. In this world, it's considered to be foolish. Why would you invest in mercy? I got this for you. It's coming a day when it's going to be the only currency of the realm that you need to have. All right? At the last day when men are crying out for the mountains and the rocks to fall on them and hide them from the wrath of the Lamb, the one, the Bitcoin of the kingdom of God is mercy. And they're going to wish they'd invested in it. And, you know, it really is kind of like that, too, because it doesn't really cost a lot, in one sense, to be merciful. In another sense, it may cost you everything. But what an investment it is. The, this promise tells us there's coming a time when those who have shown mercy will receive mercy. The promise refers to the blessed ones showing mercy. Again, it, it describes their character. It, of course, carries over into their actions, but it's saying who they are, who these people are, how are they characterized. They're characterized not as mean-spirited people who once in a while do something nice for somebody. Jesus said even the tax collectors and the uh, Pharisees will do that. Once in a while they'll be nice to somebody they like. This is talking about someone whose character has been changed and they're being transformed into the image of God as a merciful person. Their character is one of mercy. That's the goal. That's be, being an image bearer. That's showing the love of Christ being involved in helping and standing with those who are in need. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, Peter said, Gird up the loins of your mind. I love that. Kind of like cinch up the belt of your brain there, guy. Okay. In other words, start thinking a little more precisely. Be sober. That, and it can carry in both aspects. But it really means be serious-minded. And rest your hope upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Somehow when Jesus comes back in glory. There's going to be grace given to his people. Christ is coming back in glory because of his mercy, because of his pity. He's not pleased with the things that are going on in this world. He's not been pleased with any of the, the sin and the death and the 
corruption and the mean-spirited thing and the uh, things and violence, etc. Christ is coming back to make things right and to make them right permanently. But the kingdom of God has already begun at the resurrection of Christ. Well, it actually began when Christ came at his incarnation. We're part of that kingdom. So we can say, well, when Jesus returns, he'll set things right. Beloved, you're to do mercy now. We're to, to work prayerfully and according to the Bible, following God's directions, and we're to be working to set things right correctly. Remember the Lord's Prayer that we all prayed a few minutes ago? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we look forward to the final kingdom, but we're in the kingdom of God now. He's translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, and we are to show mercy. But on the day Christ returns, that spiritual Bitcoin called mercy, it's going to have a value beyond everything. And it's not like, well, if I show mercy, I'll be showing mercy. If you, if you know Christ, you're going to be showing mercy, and it'll be manifested fully on that day. Um, Titus talks about the blessed hope of the glorious advent of Christ. We can only be merciful, that is, do acts of mercy when our character is transformed and conformed to the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. Being merciful results in doing mercy. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, and we'll end with this verse, Paul the Apostle, in writing to the church in Ephesus and to the Christians there, he said, And be ye kind one to another tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. That's the basis. We've been forgiven. We need, we've been shown mercy. May God give us grace to become merciful people. To do acts of mercy, but to be characterized as merciful ones. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. May God make it so. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we pray you bless us now. We thank you for your love, for the forgiveness of sins. And we pray, Lord, that as we have been shown mercy from you through Jesus Christ, give us grace, Lord, to not just feel pity, but to actually show mercy where we have opportunity. And open our eyes so that we'll see those opportunities, Lord. But we thank you and praise your name. Give us grace, Lord, to honor you and forgive us where we have failed. And we commit ourselves now into your gracious hands. And we ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.